0: Welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm your host. First thing I want to do is say, hi! (laughs) It's great to get back behind the microphone. I've been away for a bit. um, Shoot, four weeks maybe? Got a little bit behind schedule. Had some house guests for two weeks. A couple other things come up. We had some fires in Southern California. Nope. Didn't affect me, but... I do work for a local government, and it meant that I had to spend some time in an emergency operations center. Um, We had to staff up and help out the surrounding counties. That also kind of got in the way. Um, But here I am. It's the day after Thanksgiving. It's a Friday. Typically, if you're active duty, at least when I was in, the Friday after Thanksgiving, they like to give it. They like to give uh, the day off, but apparently there's some rule that you can't have 96 hours off straight without some sort of special leave or liberty uh, paperwork filled out. So they would do some crazy things like do phone musters or come in for half a day or something like that. So anyway, I'm back. Um, Glad to be back. Thank you for waiting. Um, I'll have this show out I uh, might get one more in, then I'll probably take another couple weeks off, get one more in before Christmas, and then another couple weeks off. So, you know, just so you know that the there might not be the standard uh, every other week schedule. It might slip a little farther than that. All right. So the topic of this show, we're still going to talk about the the. Uh, the RAG, the Replacement Air Group, the Fleet Replacement Squadron that I went to for training in the SH-2F. That would be HSL-31, which was the RAG or the Fleet Replacement Squadron for West Coast, LAMPS Mark 1 aircraft. Now, I already spent an hour talking about the things that I was taught as an AW, the flights that we that I went on, the... Things that we had to learn. I had the the course syllabus here in front of me, and I was reading to you the things that we did. Well, this show I want to talk about life, things that we did living. I living um, things not related to the course of training. Let's put it that way. The course of training, as we know, was sixteen weeks. I was there longer. I have my magic, my magic papers here the calendar i believe the last show i told you that i reported to hsl 31 on the 3rd of november and i think i finished training sometime in february when they got stashed or maybe end of january then stashed and i don't think i got to leave HL 31 until early april all right so i'm going to talk about those things uh where should we start? Okay, I talked about the the training. There was a It was somewhat self-paced. You would go into what they called the ISD, which we call just the library. You would check out your lesson, read or watch your lesson. Sometimes it was a tape slide, sometimes it was a video. Take your test, pass your test, go on to the next one, and at some point... As you progressed, you would start doing your flights associated with the lessons you learned. Well, when you were not doing lessons, we had a little lounge. The lounge was probably six feet across, two couches on either side, and probably 15, 20 feet deep. It was a little room tucked in the corner. and It was a place for you to kind of go and hang out um, in between your flying and your lessons or whatever you did. Well... <laughs> The aircrew lounge. <laughs> people hang out there all day sometimes. Okay, <laughs> maybe do one lesson, and then sit on their ass. Um, if they weren't flying, some some people didn't really like doing the book learning so much, so they'd hang out in this lounge. The other thing that was interesting for HL thirty one was that out of all the commands, well, let me back up. was, was, let me start to say the thing, it was duty. We had duty, we had watch sections or duty sections at HSL 31. Um, All through the pipeline, the only other place that we had duty sections was at AWA school in Memphis, Tennessee or Millington, Tennessee. There we had duty sections. We had four four or five watch sections. Here, um, let's see, after that, At HC One Star School, no watch sections. SEER School, no watch sections. Uh, Common Core, no watch sections. But HSL thirty one, there were six duty duty sections, and we all took turns. uh, For uh, they rotated daily, Uh, and then weekends. So every sixth weekend, we had the duty for the whole weekend. How was it week? Weekend, weekly, daily. Shoot, I can't remember how often the duty section switched out. How sad is that? I want to, I want to say it was daily. Each section rotated daily. And then I was determined that certain walks, you know, each watch or duty section would take turns for a weekend. Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday. Well, Friday night. 48 hours, Friday, Saturday. Call it Saturday, Sunday. Um, so that was the first, that was another thing I hadn't had to do in a while was stand watches. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that as a fleet replacement squadron, HSL 31, not only trained aircrew in AWs, they trained pilots and they also trained maintainers. All, all, uh, all Navy ratings that were, that would work on H2s. Jet engine mechanics, electricians, electronics technicians, anti submarine warfare equipment technicians, um, metalsmiths, hydraulics. um, They all had, they all would go through HSL 31 to learn how to fix their aircraft. So HSL 31 as a squadron was made up of, I'd probably say, I have no, I have nothing to base it on other than just a wild guess that maybe two thirds students, one third staff, maybe a little higher than that. It wasn't 50, 50. I know that there was definitely more students than staff there. But anyway, so the six, that's how we're, since we're so many people, that's how we're able to be broken down into six duty sections. When I got to my fleet squadron, we had four duty sections. So one weekend a month you had the duty. Also, during the week, maybe. Much less chance. So anyway, because we're standing duty again, we also had duty in the air crew lounge. That rotation, I can't remember for the life of me if it it hinged upon your regular duty section out in the squadron space or not. I can't remember. But if you had... If you were the, <laughs> the duty section, if you had the duty in the aircrew lounge, you had to answer the phone. A little phone. So you had a desk, a little tiny desk, and the phone. You had to wear a service dress uniform, no dungarees. So you're, well, I was there from October through March, so I was wearing the gunfighter, the service dress uniform. It's navy blue, really black pants. Uh, navy blue, really a black long sleeve. Collared shirt and a black tie. If you had won any ribbons or medals at that point, you wore them. And your rank was on your, your sleeve. So you had, if you had the phone answering duty, and it was for the whole day, you had to wear a uniform. And then you had to, if you needed a break, you had to you had to beg someone that was hanging out there in the air crew lounge to watch the phone so you could use the head. Uh, I can't remember how we handled l- lunch relief. I don't know if someone had to relieve you or if we just didn't answer the phone for lunchtime. So anyway, um, but that was, that was the phone for the, for the air crew training. The operations section had their own. F- All right, let me back up a bit again, getting ahead of myself. HSL 31 had a squadron space. It was a hangar out on the end of the road next to the flight line. There was office space there for the commanding officer, Executive officer, the administrative people, uh, the maintenance department, quality assurance. Every department had s- space in the hangar. But since we were training command, we had a little bit of. We had another building, three hangars down the road, so easily a five minute walk. Uh, that had that had the the aircrew lounge, a classroom, two classrooms, the aircrew training staff office. The Operations Office, which dealt more with scheduling and uh, dealing with non-training flying stuff, the Intel section, the, the Air Intel people had their office in our, in our building, and this is all on the second floor, by the way. then the ISD, the library, and that was pretty, that was it. On the first floor was the SIM, the flight simulator for H2s it was on the first floor. So anyway, for the aircrew staff, the aircrew training section or area of people, they made the students answer the phone. So we'd have to sit in there, and if uh, the phone rang, you'd have to answer it. we find out whoever they're looking for, put them on hold, we'll go find that person, tell them so and so is looking for you online, whatever. And this is the old, you know, push button, hold phone, right? Someone calls you. Push the red red button. Put them on hold. The light blinks. There's four lines. Everyone could see that. They pick it up and push that button and connect. So, old old school. All kind of quasi mechanical phone switching. Uh, So yeah, I remember. I remember one time. Oh, also now, the duty day or the regular day was I want to say seven thirty to four thirty. Wasn't eight. Seven thirty to four thirty. And um, I can't remember if we mustered every morning, or every other morning. I, see, fuzzy. I should have talked, started talking about this ten years ago. The memories might have been fresher. But if if you were the phone, the phone dude, you, I want to say you stayed till five because I remember one time answering the phone after everyone had left. Either that, or everyone just kind of snuck out early that day or whatever. So you have to answer the phone, and the phone the answer phone HSL 31 aircrew training this line is not secure your name and rank so this is airman so and so speaking may I help you sir or ma'am because you wouldn't know who was on the other phone on the end of the phone and and some of these guys would answer the phone and they'd say that whole thing HSL 31 market training the line is not secure da-da-da. may I help you sir or ma'am and they would say it so fast you could, couldn't catch their name I just thought, what the heck, you know, I'd I'd say it slow and clear, so whoever could, you know, the other one would I mean me. Well, sure enough, one time was the captain, the squadron commanding officer, looking for the senior chief in charge of the air crew training. And he made a point to tell the senior chief to tell me, thank you for answering the phone in such a fashion that he could understand who I was. So there, it's small, charming anecdote for you. But anyway, we'd hang out in this lounge, and... I don't know, trash talk on each other, rip on each other, talk, BS. Sometimes the instructors have to come down and tell you to break it up, get back to work, which was, you know, studying. Um, so we had a little little snack shop. We called it a gee dunk right next door, a little, little trailer next to our building run by the Navy Exchange so you can get sodas and whatever, nachos was the favorite at the time. So a lot of time you hear people say "you fly, I buy," meaning you go get the stuff and the and the other person would pay for it. I never offered to pay anybody to get my crap if I wanted something to eat, I could get it myself. But some of these guys are just crazy lazy. So uh, let's see what else. I remember, uh, well, our class, our my training class. I might have said this in the last show. Our training, my training class was three three guys, me and two others. Um. So there you go. We Our flying, you know, we ever, hardly ever met as a class. I, I remember meeting as a class once that we had to, at some point through the training, we had to tell them where we wanted to go. Now, you had three choices. Okay. You can go to Hawaii, HSL 37 in Hawaii. Or you can stay in San Diego, and there's two fleet squadrons in San Diego, HSL-33 or HSL-35. So <laughs> they all had pretty much equivalent reputation. So the choice came down to: Do you want to stay in San Diego or go to Hawaii? So um, I told my first choice. I actually told them I wanted to go to the the training squadron for the new helicopter, the new H-60 at the time, the Seahawk. HSL 41, which was the rag for LAMPS Mark three. And I said, yeah, that's my first choice. And the, <laughs> my class instructor looked at me like I was crazy. Are you serious? You want to waste a choice on that? I go, hey, I want to go to the new airplane. And they're like, well, the Navy just taught you on this one. I said, yes, I know. But like just before I checked into HSL 31, the whole graduating class, all three sailors, got grabbed to be to go through the HSL 41 training curriculum to... Compared to what they just went through. So they could do that for them. They could do that for me. And my second choice was HSL 33. And that's what I ended up getting. So there you go. All right. So what else we want to talk about? Lifestyle. Okay. So six duty sections. So that means one weekend, every six weeks you had the duty. And what that meant was if you weren't actually standing a watch on Saturday morning, you reported to the hangar to wash aircraft. If you were lucky, there was only one aircraft that needed a wash that weekend. The standard was two. If you were unlucky, there was three. Let me tell you um, yeah you know, i can't I couldn't tell you what the total number of personnel in the squadron divided by six to give you an idea of how many people were in my duty section because it was aircrew students. Maintenance students. It's all enlisted people, by the way. I'm sorry, the officers and pilots were. They had their own thing to, their own schedule for duty work to work out with. This is all the enlisted folks. So staff, students, both maintainer students and crew students, washed aircraft. And if you had three aircraft, it took all day. You started at eight and washed three airplanes with however many people with a lunch break in between. We were done at four thirty, five o'clock. It took a long time, because washing an airplane is not as simple as you might think. (laughs) Um, You know, you have to. There's a process, a procedure, how to wash, you know, rinse it down, how to apply the soap, how to rinse it off, how to clean the rotor head of the grease, how to uh, clean the tail rotor of the grease, Um, and and the grease that's been flung. Okay, there's bearings inside. The main rotor and the tail rotor. There's bearings that you pump full of grease, and when the aircraft started up and spun, this grease would fling all over the place. So, now if we're lucky, we had someone that was able to use a chemical that would spray at high pressure that blow blast the grease off, that made washing easier. The problem is that some of this chemical would collect in these little tiny spaces. You know, these little little voids or little spots, or two. Two surfaces came together on the helicopter that would collect water. So you had to go in there. That was where it took it the longest. You you know, washing it with, rinsing it down, scrubbing it with soap, rinsing it off, scrubbing the rotor blades, you know, doing all that all over was actually fairly quick. What took a long time was going over the helicopter with a fine tooth comb and making sure you mopped up all the loose water because the water wasn't, wasn't allowed to stand. It would rust or it would cause rust or or at least accelerate corrosion. So it was something we had to do. With, armed with paper towels up the walls, you just go through and stuff them in these little holes and collect all the water you could. And then you have to go over because there are only two sheets of glass on the main front windows. You could use a glass cleaner on the rest. of It was plexiglass that you'd have to, you know, wax on, wax off, kind of a thing. Smear the stuff on, let it dry, and then some serious elbow grease to get it off. So yeah, lucky one airplane, unlucky three airplanes, standard was two. Now, <clears throat> standing watch. If you were E4, Pet Officer 3rd Class, you would most likely be standing a watch as the duty driver. Duty driver shifts were eight hours and you would sit in the squadron duty office and wait for the phone to ring. If you're E five and above, that would be E five and E six because the Chiefs E sevens, they also had their own duty rotation. Um, so E five or E six, you were you were you would stand the watch of the assistant squadron duty officer or ASDO, also an eight hour shift. So seven thirty to three thirty, three thirty to eleven thirty, eleven thirty to seven thirty. Right, three covering a 24-hour period. Now, if you were E3 and below, junior enlisted, you would stand a two-hour watch. Or is it a four-hour watch? How sad is that? I can't remember. I'm going to say four-hour watch. Four-hour watch on the flight line, doing nothing. Making sure that no one would come sneaking on (laughs) to the Naval Air Station North Island. From the from the from the channel and walk across the runway and come infiltrate or something because typically on a weekend the, all the aircraft were inside the hangar on a weeknight there might be one or two aircraft out on the actual line that would, you'd have to make sure no one would steal or whatever now the there was four squadrons there was HSL thirty one. HSL 33, HSL 35, and HSL 41 that would, it had a perimeter around the hangars from the flight line to between the flight line and the road that service these hangars. And HSL 41 had to provide one person. They had a watch, they had a little sentry station out there. 33, 35, and HSL 31 would provide two. So there's five people out there provided by four squadrons. We all had a little radio. And every 15 minutes, we'd have to check in, depending on which one you're at. So the first one provided by HSL 31 was Alpha. And he stood uh, at the far end of the line, flight line, kind of farthest from the hangar. Um, Bravo was the guy that stood right where the road ended because the road went between the hangar and the parking lot and the front line was like right in front of you. So Bravo hung out there. Charlie was provided by HSL-35 because their hangar was on the corner where the flight line made a right, made a 90-degree turn, kind of wrapped around. Uh, Delta was HSL-33, the next one down the line, in Echo was HSL-41. And what you had on your gear was a flashlight, a nightstick, and a whistle. Oh, and the radio. So if uh, someone whacked you on the head, you're supposed to pull out your whistle and start blowing on it. If you found someone you're supposed to whack them on the head. I don't know what the knights think it was just We all thought it was we all thought it was uh just an exercise in teaching you how to stay up at night. So yeah, four hour watches for the um for the outdoor sentries. And I want to say theirs instead of they're started on the hour, so eight to twelve, twelve to four, four to eight. You get it. So, you know, you come on at midnight, midnight to four in the morning. Worst watch to have. Four to eight, not so bad. Or eight to midnight, not so bad. And in the navy, you when you when you, if if your watch, if your sentry duty or your duty started at eight, you actually had to bel- relieve the person in front of you that was standing before you 15 minutes early. So you actually stood it from 7.45 to 11.45. Now, my time at HSL 31, I was fortunate that only I only stood one, but I can remember one midnight to four watch. I was pretty lucky that on the weekends I got a lot of daytime stuff. Some people would say that's crappy that you're, I mean, when you're on duty, your duty section is on duty and you're not actually at the squadron performing some duty type maintenance, you can do whatever you want. You're not stuck to your barracks, you know, you just can't drink. Okay. You can't show up to your if you had a watch, you can't show up drunk. And even if you didn't have a watch, if they called the whole section in to do something, wash airplanes or emergency do something, whatever, you couldn't be drunk. So that's the only thing you couldn't do is go drink. But you can drive around, go out in town, whatever. Um just couldn't leave. Like you couldn't like drive to Los Angeles or something. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe you couldn't go out of time, uh, off base. I don't remember. But I was pretty fortunate in standing watch that uh, didn't have to do some of the crazy ones. I only do one or two of the crazy ones most of the time. Daytime. You could also tr- you could also trade with somebody. Typically, that cost you money. To trade sections to trade to trade a duty or a watch with somebody you had to pay them. they weren't going somewhere you had something to do. you could you know work on an arrangement. let's see. anything memorable? Nothing memorable you know this is this is right when walkmans were starting to become prevalent, and of course, listening to the radio to a Walkman or something was strictly forbidden. Heaven forbid you were listening to music and not paying attention to the guy sneaking across the, the runway in the flatline to come scribble graffiti on your hangar. So if they caught you, you'd get in trouble. Um, so yeah, that's about it for that. Let's see. Barracks accommodations. HSL 31 had their their barracks for their students and their staff in the one, one of the two newer high-rise, you know, I think it was seven floors, uh, barracks facilities, bachelor enlisted quarters, BEQ. Um, the rooms are arranged such that <clears throat> you go in the door, and there was like I might have explained this in the last show or actually. I don't remember. So I'll state again. You'd go in the door, and it was like a living room with a TV mounted on the on the wall, couple couches, and four more doors. And each of those doors was a room with three beds, three lockers, and its own head. You know, toilet with stand up shower. And so your room number was room number three o five A B C or D. No telephones. And you know, hopefully that if you want if your roommates want to do something loud, they would go out in the common room to do it. You know, the main rooms, the rooms are for sleeping, and pretty much that's it. Let's see, so that's pretty easy. What else? What else happened of note at HSL 31 in a lifestyle format? Well, by that time, by October, by the time I got there, I had already been at North Island for three months. I had bought a car, kind of started knowing my way around San Diego, but seriously, the, the, the one place we typically would go to all the time was the Enlisted Club at Naval Amphibious Base Coronado, the Gator Gardens, the best, they had the best live entertainment every Friday and Saturday night. Um what else All right so well okay the last show I talked about the flying curriculum the flying syllabus um one thing I didn't talk about was <laughs> one of the things we would discuss I remember one okay one day in the air crew lounge we got to comparing notes about the various pilots and coming up with nicknames for them, because you know the pilots are either students or rather experienced naval aviators imparting knowledge to the student pilots. And there's a couple of guys that uh, had a reputation for I don't know I don't want to say quirky behavior, but just doing things that were notable. For example, there's Lieutenant Commander Brown matter of fact Lieutenant Commander Brown was I believe the maintenance officer and he had a nickname of Fume Free Brown because he would fly he he liked to fly he liked to fly the aircraft to its its fuel minimum envelope I mean when the 30-minute fuel light came on we always said he just took that as a suggestion and not as not as gospel it's time to come home um Seriously, I mean, <laughs> the thing had 300 pounds left in it. We got plenty of gas. Um, I mean, things like that. I, I'm I'm not going to go into a whole whole bunch of them because partly I don't remember them. Other ones, you know, they weren't they weren't very nice. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes when you're nervous in an airplane, your mind does crazy things. Um, but I did. Air, here's a here's a little tangent I want to go off on. thing I was watching. <laughs> I came across. Airport seventy seven on the TV, and Airport seventy seven. If you don't know, um, features HSL thirty one and its aircraft prominently in the storyline. Um, apparently, well, not apparently. I know, I know that back in the day, in that day, so Airport seventy seven. The film was probably shot in nineteen seventy six or so. Um, that HSL thirty one ran the West Coast SAR school, Search and Rescue school, and there's a scene where they drive up in this little truck this beat up yellow pickup truck actually it was a van that was carved into a pickup truck and some two and a half ton trucks and all these little uh school students jumped out with their bags and jumped into waiting turning h2s not they flew to to the waiting uh lst which was funny the whole the the, the real funny thing is that the premise of the story is this airplane crashed in the Bermuda Triangle. So, you know, Atlantic Ocean, but it's all West Coast units. They even showed VS-41, S-3 aircraft, doing searches and stuff. See, I was showing my son. and eh, there's a helicopter. It's a museum piece now. See, I checked some tail numbers. I probably got some flight time on some of those airplanes. Just funny, they're still around 10 years later for me. Um, What else? So yeah, go go watch if you want to see H2s in action. Rent yourself Airport 77. Try not to choke on the cheese factor, but some good shots of uh of West Coast anti submarine aircraft doing search and rescue work. Let's see, I'm struggling to come up with anything else. Alright, well, I I spent Thanksgiving at HSL 31. Today after Thanksgiving. I don't remember anything remarkable. We had Thanksgiving Day off. We had to go in for a little bit that day. I don't know. Then we had the rest of the weekend off. Okay. But I can talk about what happens when you finish your course of instruction. And I finished my course of instruction, I want to say in January. I think that's what my check flight was. My Natop's check ride. Where... I had, you know, I was tested, open book test, closed book test. Natop's check ride passed. So now I'm certified. I'm done. I'm going to benefit down. I'm going to say February. So let's say first week of February, Monday the 6th, the week of the 6th, I'm done. Now, now I'm waiting for orders to my fleet squadron. And they're not coming in. And you know, every day you check. Nope, no orders yet. So now they got to find. They got to find things for us to do, as you know, we're students. We've passed the course. So, so let's see some of the things they would have us do. Um, I would go help run the flight sim for current students. You know, a, a, to truly man up a, a flight simulator from instructors and whatever. It's probably three, four people. You know, you have three people actually in the sim and then three or four people at the console. So I'd go and help out at the console. It's just you know, It wasn't too hard to learn to throw contacts on the radar for the guy to practice with, things like that. Um, we also got sent to a shipboard aircraft firefighting over at 32nd Street Naval Air Station. No, 32nd Street Naval Station. Naval Station, 32nd Street. They had a mock-up hangar and a three-day firefighting course there. So they'd send us to that, give us orders. And we'd drive over there for three days and, again, sit in classroom. You'd see the all the famous Navy firefighting, the trial by fire, which, which, which was about the fire on the USS Forrestal. They had another uh, video that talked about the fire on the Forrestal and the fire on the Enterprise and the fire on the Oriskany, all famous fires he showed you how, uh, it was really the forestall, which got the nickname forest fire. It was the forestall's fire that really prompted the Navy to change from having damage control parties, being the only people that knew how to fight fires, um, to everybody on the ship being able to fight a fire. Because on the forestall, the damage control parties, both of them, were approaching were deploying and approaching the aircraft to put out the fire because it was a, you know, it was an airplane that caught fire, and ordnance bombs and missiles that were hanging off these other aircraft around the aircraft on fire, blew up, okay, from the heat and it killed all of the damage control trained personnel. So now here's an uncontrollable fire raging on the aft deck of the USS Forrestal, and really no one trained how to put it out. They eventually got it out by just, you know, throwing as much water and whatever on it, but they decided to teach everybody how to do it. So in basic training, everyone learns how to put out uh, shipboard fire fi- fires, shipboard-based fires, and then aviation personnel would, uh, would start rotating to this shipboard aircraft firefighting school um, to get, you know, add on to that. So it's three days, you know, so we watch these videos, we do training, exercises, whatever, and then... The last day you'd actually go into this big mock up hangar and they would light jet fuel on fire, and you'd go in there and put it out so go do that. i never and out of the class they'd take volunteers to put on the silver firefighting suits to march the flames to pull out the f- fake survivor. I didn't get to do that. Let's see what else would they have us do um there is a there's a shipboard combined tactics kind of a training center. That was over by uh, the recruit training the the basic training in San Diego and they would send air crewmen people had finished the, the training over to this place to play the part of uh, ship uh, aircraft based and submarine support while these ship based crews would would practice in a simulator uh, prosecuting a submarine or an air contact or whatever. Actually they would have, uh, I want to say like five, five or six, uh, ship crews, uh, uh, shoot. What's the term I want? Um, combat information center crews, people that were in a, and a CIC and on a ship has various sections and I air and a submarine, uh, early warning, all this. So they would take, I don't know, like a a cross-section of a CIC shipboard crew and stick them in this little... It was a simulator. CIC simulator was a little room that was a small mock-up of a ship combat information center. And they'd have six of these guys and they're all linked together. Um, Up on the second deck, they would have uh, people playing aircraft. And you'd sit at this console and it would be... um, you have a headset on so you can hear the radio, quote-unquote radio traffic, and you'd be controlling an aircraft, and you would say that you're flying at this heading, at this altitude, and this airspeed, and you can, you know, with some knobs, you can change that up and down or whatever, turn. And then the on another readout, uh, the 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 instructors, the people running the simulation would throw information up on there for you to, in turn, report down to the guy's, in the in the CIC simulators that hey this is I'm aircraft so and so I've discovered this or I've seen that. I'm you know here's my heading altitude airspeed and then they would prosecute however. So it's mostly for anti-submarine tactics really. But each each of these little group of ship guys would take turns being what they called Alpha X-ray. Alpha X ray was the ship in charge of anti-submarine. There's Alpha Whiskey who was in charge of anti-air uh, different ones okay so each of these guys would take a turn being a different role and the the main I think the main thrust was doing anti-submarine work because that's why we were there right we would just gone through a year's worth of anti-submarine warfare training in, in one format or another so they'd send us there to impart or you know take our experience as little as it was and participate in these little exercise simulation drills whatever you want to call them so I remember getting sent to do that for a week. Oh my gosh, it was it was a long week. By the end, I remember by the end sitting there, I was bored out of my mind. Um, because some of these guys didn't know how to know how to use their aviation-based assets so well. So you'd sit there just flying around, burning holes in the sky, whatever. Waiting for them to dispatch, you know, vector you out to some known contact or whatever to prosecute it. It was just. So that Friday came and they let us go. I was so excited. But it was it was very interesting. Got to know how got an understanding of how ship based anti submarine warfare worked and what their roles and responsibilities were. And it was you know, it was good training for both of us. I learned how they did things and you know, they got to interact with a real live naval aviator, I guess. Um, so let's see. I wanna say that was early March. Now, sometime in mid-March, I think I finally got my orders to report to HSL-33. Middle or end of April, I think I had like another four or five weeks um, before I'd report to to HSL-33. And and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I can't go to firefighting again. Oh gosh, I can't do another week of this anti-submarine stuff. So I remember just... uh, talking to my friend who had already gone through who was also in HSL 33 at this time already. And he said, Hey man, just, just take, tell him you want to take leave for the, for the two weeks you, before you, before you have to show up and then just check in early, you know, take leave, transition leave. Hey, that's a good idea. So I said, yeah, I'll take leave. So I want to say I took leave like on the second, third, fourth of April. I went to visit my uncle. And on like Friday the 5th, or Thursday the 5th of April of 84. Now, think of that. April of 84, I've been in the Navy for almost 18 months. I reported for basic training in November of 82. May of 84 will be 18 months. So here's April of 84. And I'm just finally getting to my fleet squadron, my fleet destination. Just amazing. Um, Yeah, so I checked in on April 5th, you know, like 10 days early. (laughs) I got the, what What the hell are you doing here speech? Hey, you know, no one says you can't check in off of leave early. So I checked in. I remember very clearly, because when you check in, you, you know, here you get your order stamped. They take a copy. Since it was actually a work day, I didn't show up after hours, which I had done up until that point. In all my training commands, right? They send you out first thing in the morning, get on the airplane, bus, whatever. You show up late, you know, after hours. Sir, <clears throat> so I showed up like eight in the morning. Checked in. Here's my stuff. Find me a room. Well, anyway, you go through checklist. You check in with the admin section. You check in with the command, uh, the command senior chief. Who's the guy that gives you your meal card and your gives you your barracks room? And he checked in, and he turns around, and looks at his chart of rooms, and says, "Wow, I got no room." He yeah, no barracks rooms available. And uh, I was kind of concerned. I'm like, uh, gee, Senior Chief, uh, <laughs> what do I do now? He turns and looks at me and he says, and I still use a saying to this day. He says to me, he says, as long as there are streets, people will have a place to sleep. So don't you worry about it. Okay, great. So he said, no, I turn out. What that means is that uh, you have to live off base and find find an apartment and Here's an, a whole checklist of things you got to do to get approved and to get the money. Because if you live off base and you're approved to live off base, the Navy gives you money to pay rent. And so here's a, a a whole new list of things to do to get that squared away. And luckily, I had the time. I mean, you visit all kinds of places. You visit the personnel support detachment. You actually visit the headquarters for the base itself, which has to verify that the squadron their squadron has. No more space available. All kinds of crazy stuff. And which meant I had to find a roommate, (laughs) believe it or not. And the funny thing was I just talked to someone that was uh, in a class behind me at HSL 31. So I went running back over to them. Hey, you still looking for someone to move in with you? And lucky for me, the answer was yes. (laughs) So, uh, and he had a great place in... They had it was right on Coronado Island. I mean, right out the main street that took you away from the base, almost to the to the other main drag, Orange Avenue, which bisected it. It was right on that street, little alley. It was basically it was an apartment run by a motel, so it was very interesting, very, very friendly, nice place to live. We eventually had to move out because they jacked their rates for summer, so I got to live there. For April, May, June, and then July 1st they went to summer rates, so we had to move move out to Paradise Hills. Ah, but that's a story for another time. So yeah, so checked in my squadron my fleet squadron HSL-33 and ended up having to move off base. Very, very surprising. But like I said, that's probably what we're going to talk about in the next show. I'm going to talk about what life is at the fleet squadron was like finally, and how long, how much longer, and things I had to do, to ultimately earn my my aircrew wings. Geez, I spent another, i say April, mm, another ten months, April February of eighty five was the date, was the date of my winging. <laughs> so anyway, we'll talk about that next. Um, other housekeeping items, because I think I pretty much run down everything. That we need to know about life in the rag. Um, housekeeping items. Okay, so you know the email address. I've been I've gotten a few emails. Thank thank you to those of you who have sent me emails. I've responded to everyone I believe. First of all, thanking them for writing me. <laughs> Second, um, you know addressing whatever they originally sent me an email about. But the email address, just in case you're wondering, is navalaircrew at gmail.com. Um, there's a website, www.navalair.net. And on that website is a link to a forum. Join the forum. Post your feedback there. Or if you don't want to send it to me email, you can post it for everyone to see if you wanted. I think I have two legitimate users. And you, and you two know who you are. Thank you um let's see so you have email you have forum uh you can leave feedback on itunes if you'd like a couple of you've done that for me as well again thank you very much uh i just want to remind you that the show schedule until after the first of the year might still be a little sporadic not the regular every two weeks i'm also working on <clears throat> bringing on another individual to help give a more a more up-to-date view <clears throat> on how things run in naval air currently. So maybe at, by the time of the first year rolls around, uh, that will be Well, that will be settled and taken care of, and we'll start hearing from that individual as well. Okay, I think that about does it. So I'm going to sign off now. And as always, stay safe and God bless.